You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. It is time. It is time. They can't be like Packers. No. Are you crazy? You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm your host, J.J. Leahy. We're going to talk about the election results. Just kidding. <laughs> ah, screw that. No. Although it might be less controversial and less depressing than talking about the Packers right now. Listen, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you are clearly a diehard Packers fan because... Why else would you be listening to a Packers podcast with the way they're playing right now? I mean, it, it is uh, only the toughest, truest fans out there that uh, still care enough to listen to um, daily or weekly podcasts. Uh, you guys can leave at any time. I got to keep doing this every single week, twice a week, really. I got, I got two weekly shows. Um, I can't go anywhere. I got to keep talking about the Packers even when I don't even want to watch the Packers uh, and I don't want to watch them right now because it's physically painful um, man they are they are bad they're not all bad there's obviously good stuff that they do you know they move the ball uh, pretty efficiently uh, this past week I think if you didn't have those interceptions you're looking at <laughs> oh my gosh you know the story you know you know, we lost by six. We threw three interceptions in the red zone. If we just kicked a field goal each time, uh, we would have won by three. So uh, we, we all know what happened. We all know why we lost. Um, losing Rashawn Gary, uh, Romeo Dobbs, possibly Eric Stokes. It's it's the kind of feels like the final nail in the coffin of the season, the 2022 season. Uh, Mark Murphy disagrees. Quote, we're all very disappointed. The expectations, and rightly so, were very high going into the season. I have a lot of confidence in Matt LaFleur, Brian Gutekunst, and Russ Ball. My expectation is we will play well and we will improve. I know things look bleak now, but things can change quickly in the NFL. We are not ready to give up on the season. That last sentence kind of feels like it's coming out of nowhere. The rest of his statement really could be construed as, uh, you know, a, a, a statement of confidence in the future of the franchise moving forward, which I absolutely would agree with and support. That final sentence that we're not ready to give up on the season. I have questions about that. I had, I'm not 
calling him dishonest. I'm not saying that he is just saying words. Uh, but it's it's a little hard to wrap your head around. It is not mathematically impossible. The Packers currently appear to be sitting at about a 13 to 16% chance of making the playoffs. If they win out, if they win every game from here on out, their odds of making the playoffs are a guarantee. Their final record would be 11 and 6. They would have gone 4 and 2 in the division. I mean, this is not a bad you know, uh, uh, thing to have on your record. They would have a 35% chance of winning the division and actually a 1% chance of getting a playoff bye. It is possible. Do you think the <laughs> the Packers are going to win out? Uh, if they drop one game, uh, they still have a 95% chance of making the playoffs. Now, I'm trying to see. I think... Yeah, if they if they drop that game to an AFC opponent, uh, Titans. Yeah, just the Titans or the Dolphins. Um, your odds of making it in the playoffs still go up slightly, ninety seven percent. If you dropped both AFC games, you're looking at seventy six percent chance. Um, and then if you also lost an NFC game as well, you're down to seventeen percent. So basically, let me swap this one more time. Uh, we'll have them losing to uh, an NFC team, two NFC teams and an AFC team. Uh, you're looking at 12%. So basically, basically, we have to win six more games in order to have any kind of a realistic shot at the playoffs. So this does beg the question, do you want to make it into the playoffs? Um, I personally, <laughs> I, th I think it's a little bit silly to even be talking about this because are they going to win six games from here on out? I mean, it would be very Packers for them to beat the Cowboys, uh, beat probably the Titans, and then beat the Bears. Okay, so that's three of your six wins. Um, they always have a pretty easy time with the Rams, who are not a good team. So that's four of your six wins, uh, assuming that you dropped one to, who did I say, the Titans or the Eagles? I know I only gave a win to one of those two. Um, Vikings are really tough. Uh, Lions are very beatable. I mean, there, there is a, if the Packers started playing better, and I really think that that just basically means if Aaron Rodgers starts playing better. If Rodgers starts playing better, you probably could win five games um, out of this stretch. To win more than five games out of the remaining stretch, I think would be very, very impressive. Just given um, how limited various parts of the overall roster look, um, given how tough the remaining schedule is, uh, I think I think a Packers team that is playing like they were for the first month of the season, I think that they could win about five games out of here. And, and that sixth one to me, feels like a stretch. So you're asking, do you want to make the playoffs and then probably get smoked and have a first-round exit and a worse um, draft pick? Or, you know, the, the super optimistic fans are thinking of, 
2016 and getting super hot at the end and, and, and 2010 getting super hot and winning the games you needed to win and uh, going out there and winning it all. I, I, <laughs> I don't really see the parallel there. I think the twenty the twenty ten team, despite their problems, despite the record, they were way more competitive in those losses than the Packers have been. I put a poll out on Twitter. Uh, what do you think needs to be done to fix the Packers? Give me your top priorities, overall strategy, when to implement it, etc. Uh, very very popular answer was get rid of Rodgers. Uh, probably the second most popular answer was get rid of Gutekunst. Um, I'm going to skip those because there's a lot of them. And uh, I want to talk about more interesting things than that. Clayton, uh, the Clayton, says the second we are officially eliminated, you put 12 on IR and see what Love can do with the understanding that he will be playing with backups the same as 12 has. It sucks because it won't be a true evaluation of Love, but definitely better than nothing. I, I think that there's a couple things here. First of all, the fact that Rogers' thumb is injured is the perfect alibi for putting him on IR. You have to find out what you have in Jordan Love because I, I'm i sorry. I'm ready to give up on the 2022 season. I really don't have any interest in uh, trying to sneak into the playoffs by default because most of the rest of the NFC sucks and there are too many playoff uh, berths. Not super interested in that. I am thinking about the future um, and how you get the Packers back to being a dominant football team. And it starts with quarterback. I think it's highly unlikely that Aaron wants to return next year, even if, if the Packers do want him back. But this is really important timing because you have to make your decision at the end of this football season, um, you have from what, like uh, January through May, I think is the window that you have time to decide if you're going to exercise Jordan Love's fifth year option. If you don't know what you have in him, you don't exercise that because it's 20 million bucks guaranteed. Uh, it's it's completely unrealistic if you don't know what you have in him. Now, the Packers see him in practice a lot. They see him running the scout teams. They... They have a better idea than we do of what he is. Some of the Packers players are pretty high on him. Here's the clip of Devondre Campbell that was getting passed around a couple days ago. Uh, Devondre and uh, Dallin Levitt talking about Jordan Love. I mean, I think Jordan's a, a great player. I think he's a great teammate. Um, you know, I'm not in the offensive meetings, but I can't see the way that the ball comes out of his hands. I can't see the way that he's decisive um, playing against our defense. I mean, we... I don't know about y'all, but I think we got a pretty good defense, and he does a really good job for us in practice. Gives us a real look, and um, it's pretty impressive. He's done some some pretty impressive things. He's a starting quarterback. Okay, yes. there we go. Yeah, no yeah. question. He's better than a lot of quarterbacks, and this a lot of starting quarterbacks. Wow, there we go. That's good stuff. There, how about that? Yeah, I I, I am blown away at and have been for a long time at the number of opportunities that they have had to put Jordan Love out there and have chosen not to, you know, giving, <laughs> giving whole quarters or halves 
to other backup quarterbacks who are completely, completely meaningless. Uh, you know, the uh, Detroit game last year where they only let him play a half. Um, and okay, you know, did the uh, first half help our offense? Our starting offense did it help Aaron Rodgers? He he played like garbage against the 49ers. I have a hard time seeing the value there. And okay, sure, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, I guess. But I don't understand how they've let so much time slip through. Basically, his entire you know, three out of of the four years of his rookie contract have slipped away with him playing what like it's like seven quarters of football. And then and then some quarters in preseason games. Ridiculous. Another really popular suggestion here in the Twitter poll was uh, tanking the rest of the season and trying to draft a quarterback of the future, whether that's Bryce Young, CJ Stroud. Uh, I don't think there's any other quarterbacks in this draft that are really worth considering. Yeah, maybe you like Anthony Richardson. Uh, I think he's uh, clearly in a lower tier right now as a prospect than Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. Uh, but, you know, those are probably the three I would consider. The draft order right now, if the season were to end today, uh, the Packers are sitting at number 10. They are one spot uh, behind or ahead of, depending on how you look at it, um, Chicago. Chicago's at nine, Packers are at 10. The number 10 overall pick is not worth very much. You'd have to get inside the top five to really have a, a great pick. Um, but I think the number one pick is attainable. The number 10 pick is not worth anything. Like if you're going to be picking at 10, you might as well win a couple more games and try and make it in the playoffs. Honestly. Now we do play against Chicago. Uh, we also play against Detroit, who is sitting at number five right now. You know, we said the Packers have a 13 to 16% chance of uh, making it into the playoffs. They currently have a 1% chance of getting the number one overall draft pick. If they lose out the rest of the season, if they don't win another game, um, which would be hard to do because you're playing some really bad teams. You are playing the Rams, you're playing the Bears, you are playing the Lions. I think those three games will be challenging to lose. But if you lose all of those, you do have right around an 80% chance of getting the number one overall pick. Now, part of why is because you are handing an extra win to the Lions and the Lions have, um, they have a tiebreaker over you. Therefore, they would be behind you in the draft order. Uh, you also are losing to the Bears, so that pushes them further down. Looking at uh, the other teams who are in play, uh, the Panthers, Texans, um, da, 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 Steelers, Raiders, they're all in contention as well. The team that you're competing with the most is the Texans. So Houston currently has one win and one tie. I think that they can and probably will win at least one more game the rest of the season. We need Carolina, uh, Vegas, Pittsburgh, 
New Orleans, um, Arizona, Jacksonville. We need all those teams to win uh, one more game. Uh, I said New Orleans. That pick belongs to the Eagles, but it's New Orleans' record that matters. So uh, the Eagles currently have the number six overall pick, but they um, we need the uh, Saints to win a game, and that would drop the Eagles down, if that makes sense. So the most important team here is the Texans. So looking through their remaining schedule, they play the Giants next. Then they play the Commanders. Uh, that is a game that they should have a chance of winning. Um, let's see. Then they play the Dolphins, the Browns. I don't think they win either of those. Uh, they play the Cowboys, the Chiefs. Good luck there. Uh, they play the Titans. I think they will lose to the Titans. They play the Jaguars. That's a maybe. The problem is we also want uh, Jacksonville to get a win in here as well. So that is... Kind of sucks. Um, and then they play the Colts in Week 18. I think, I think the Texans have a shot at beating the Colts. I do. Uh, the Colts are tanking for the number one overall pick themselves. They are behind the Packers right now. They are picking at 14. the uh, The Packers are three and six. The Colts are three, five, and one. If the Packers want to get the number one overall pick, they have to lose out. They they cannot win a single game from here on out. The Colts, I don't think, are winning again this season. I think they are done winning. They'll they'll finish uh, three and uh, whatever three and fifteen and one, <laughs> whatever it comes out to. You don't have to talk in, in numbers that that big frequently uh, when, you're, when you're talking about losses. So. Yeah, three fifteen and one. Is that right? No, three fourteen and one. Three thirteen and one. My goodness, three thirteen and one. That's how they're going to finish the season. I I, I think so. Um, the interesting thing is, as you go along the season, um, the Packers, like I said, are currently sitting at about a one percent chance of getting the number one overall draft pick. Every game they lose from here on out, um, with the exception of the first one basically doubles their odds. So if they lose to the Cowboys, they still sit at exactly a 1% chance to get the number one overall pick. If they lose to the Titans as well, their odds jump to 2%. If they lose to the Eagles, it jumps up to about 3.5%. Then if they lose to the Bears, it jumps up to 7%. They lose to the Rams, we're looking at 11, sorry, 12%. If they lose to the Dolphins, it jumps up to 23%. Uh, Matthew gets a little bit wonky. If they lose to the Vikings, you're looking at about a 41% chance. And then if you lose that final game to the Lions as well, um, there's a, a massive impact here, and you jump up to basically 80%. It's like 79.8% chance of getting the number one overall pick. As we get closer to draft season, we'll have more of a picture of what things are going to look like. Um, If they continue to lose games, especially if they continue to lose games in pretty convincing fashion, um, at that point, we're we're going to be talking a lot more about draft picks and overall draft strategy. Do you uh, take a defensive player like Will Anderson? Do you go all in on a quarterback? 
Um, I think if you're picking in the top three, we are very, very interested in the quarterbacks. Very interested. If you're picking in like the top five, I think you're still really interested because you could trade up. You could trade next year's first round pick to get all the way up to number one. If you just believe like Bryce Young is the guy and we, you know, we really feel it. But the simulator I'm using to uh, to do the uh, draft order here. So I mentioned if you lose every game through the Vikings game um, and the Lions game is up in the air, you're sitting at about a 40% chance of getting the number one overall pick. If you win that game or any other game on the schedule, it drops down to just over a 20% chance of getting the number one overall pick. And this math changes over the course of the season. Uh, there are hundreds of games left to be decided. Um, there, there are so many teams right now who have uh, the capability of getting to the number one pick. I mean, you look at there, there are 14 teams that have fewer than four wins. 14 teams. Usually the team who's picking like, uh, you know, at like pick three has about three wins. So Houston has one win, Carolina, Vegas, Pittsburgh, Detroit all have only two wins, uh, but the Packers do have the ability to hand another win to the Lions. Uh, so you're hoping that Carolina, Vegas, and Pittsburgh all win at least one more. And then you, there's a bunch of teams that we are uh, pretty much tied with, and it's Right now, because we're so early in the season, the strength of schedule really factors a lot in here. Um, and there's a, just a ton of tiebreakers. That's all going to sort itself out the long, the deeper into the season we get. Um, but it's something to keep an eye on. That number one overall pick is just humongously important. If you look at a trade chart uh, like Rich Hill or um, uh, Jimmy Johnson, the number one overall pick is worth roughly twice as much as the number three overall pick. I mean, it is a drastic difference. And if you look all the way down to pick 10, where we're currently sitting, it's three times as, as valuable. So the drop off from pick five to pick 10, like barely matters. The drop off from pick one to three is massive. I, I really do think that it matters. And I think that this is, it's really critically important that the Packers decide what they want to do. Because if you are going to go all in on trying to tank the right way and get a high draft pick, which Mark Murphy is certainly not publicly saying that they're going to do. Like you got, you got to commit whole hog and do it the right way. And if you're not picking like the top three, it just doesn't matter. You know, if you're picking at like five or six versus, uh, you know, 10 is is where our current efforts have gotten us. So there's not much reason to think that going forward without making any changes, we're going to do things any differently you know, and get different results than we have been getting. So if, if you're looking at this and saying, we're not going to make any changes. We're not going to try and bring in any outside help or make any coaching changes or philosophy changes or sit somebody or have a conversation with 
uh, players about the, the way we're doing business and, and really change things up. If, if you cannot manufacture some kind of change, there's no reason to think that the outcome is going to be any different. And what we have done so far has landed us at right about the 10th overall pick, which is pretty far away from getting to the playoffs. It's pretty far away from the first round pick or the, the, the number one pick. You need to have a clear, decisive path forward. You need to, if, if you want to get in the playoffs, you have to put together a plan of how you're going to get there and actually implement change to make that happen. I don't want to sit at 10. 10 is nothing. It's not a good draft pick. It's also not a good football season. There's nothing to be proud of at sitting at 10. That's where Washington uh, picked last year. They got Drake London. Woohoo. Drake London is, does not change your franchise. All right. The previous year, it was uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. They picked Devontae Smith. Smith, very good wide receiver. He's not even their number one. They had to go trade for A.J. Brown to get a number one wide receiver. In 2020, the Browns picked at 10. They took Jedrick Wills. When was the last time you heard somebody talk about Jedrick Wills? I don't think he's a bad football player. The Browns have an okay offensive line, but they're not winning games. They suck. Jedrick Wills didn't change anything for them. That same year, the Bengals drafted Joe Burrow. He took them to the Super Bowl. The number one overall pick in the hands of somebody who's not stupid like the Lions can be franchise-altering. 2019, pick... Pick 10 went to the Steelers. They took Devin Bush, who is probably the very worst linebacker in the NFL. He's horrific. 2018, the Cardinals took Josh Rosen. Now, I liked Josh Rosen at the time. Clearly, in hindsight, that didn't work out. What did the number 10 overall pick get, get you? Uh, a one-year rental crappy quarterback that you got rid of the very next year. Now, occasionally, you do strike gold. 2017, which is, what, six years ago now. Isn't that seven years from, from the... So, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Seven years. Yeah, seven years prior to this upcoming draft we're talking about. The Chiefs took Pat Mahomes at pick 10. All right? That, obviously, made a huge difference. Do you really want to roll on one out of seven and hope that... <laughs> You're the one team that doesn't make a stupid pick at pick 10. You know, not, I'm, not, I'm not slamming Drake London. Uh, he was a guy I liked a lot. But do you really think Drake London is going to alter the uh, course of history for the commanders? I'm not willing to sit at pick 10. Pick 10 is stupid. Either tank the right way and go get at least a top three pick. Try and get the number one overall pick. You need a lot of help to get there because somebody's got to hand uh, Houston at least two wins. Or make some changes <laughs> with a more depleted roster than you had before the Lions game because now you're down your very best player, Rashawn Gary, and you're missing Romeo Dobbs, who I, I'm i not sure there's anybody out there who would try and argue that he was not our best wide receiver uh, without possibly Eric Stokes. Now, that's probably not going to hurt a ton because Stokes wasn't having the best year, and uh, Rasul, I think, plays a lot better on the outside than on the inside. So, like, yeah, it hurts, but it doesn't hurt anywhere near as much as uh, Rashawn or uh, Romeo. you got to have a plan, and this is what I've been complaining about the Packers for basically all season is that they don't feel like they have a plan. 
I did a whole podcast last week about it. We got to take an ad break, but then we're going to come back and talk about some more of the proposals that people have thrown out in my call for ideas on how to fix the Packers. So we'll do that in a second. Uh, Patreon.com slash JJ is where you can support the show. We're starting to bleed some listeners. Um, I know times are tough out there for folks. And also, it's a lot harder to be excited about the Packers than you were. So I certainly understand if you're like looking through your expenses and going, all right, why the heck am I supporting a Packers podcaster um, when... <laughs> when the Packers are having such a bad season. So I super appreciate everybody who is still supporting this show. And if you are a longtime listener and you enjoy the content I put out and you would like to help me continue to be able to, to do this, because I have to take time out of my uh, work day and work week to uh, research and record and all that. If you would like to help continue making this show possible, patreon.com slash J-J-L-A-H-E-Y. Uh, super appreciate anybody who is willing to help out there. If you don't like Patreon, uh, reach out to me. Um, I'm very accessible on Twitter, at uh, J-J-L-A-H-E-Y, and uh, we can talk about other ways that you can um, support if you just don't like Patreon, because some people don't. Uh, we're going to have a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Brandon, at Brandon Gonu. They need to figure out what their plan is. Rodgers is under contract and has control for at least one more year. Do they want to invest in love or start the process over with a higher pick? I'd let Rodgers start the next two games and move to love after they lose them. See what they have and hopefully build trade value and start the process over. After that, they need to be smarter about who they move on from to fix the cap. Bakhtiari, Jones will have to move, etc. Then probably look into a defensive coordinator. I would be surprised if Joe Barry is back next year. I think there are enough problems with his um, play calling and play design and the preparation of his guys that I would be surprised if he's back. Particularly, right now there's nothing to suggest that the Packers are going to get hot and go on a streak, which means some heads will roll at the end of the season. We don't know. Um, we, don't, we don't have any idea if... Guys like Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst are going to be on the hot seat. I don't think Goody should, but it's. I, I think that it is a, a question that Mark Murphy should be thinking about. He needs to be evaluating, has Gutekunst done a good enough job? When you have a season that's this bad, I don't think that anyone is uh, immune to uh, criticism and review. Uh, Matt LaFleur, I think, has a great opportunity here in a challenging situation to show me, to show Mark Murphy, to show Brian Goodkunst over the course of the rest of this season what he's made of. It has not been an impressive first half of the season from him. If he does not make any adjustments, if things just stay the same, if he keeps going up to these press conferences and saying, yeah, I don't know what to do or how to fix this dude. You're telling me right now <laughs> that you're not the guy to fix it. Um, so you, uh, Matt has a fantastic opportunity here over the next, uh, eight games to show us what he's made of, what kind of leader and head coach he's going to be going forward in the future. 
no question, the first three years of his um, time here in Green Bay were really good. Uh, it was a dominant team. They were winning a lot. He has demonstrated that he does, for the most part, know how to be the head coach of a winning football team. And that's important because, or I should say it's an important distinction because winning fixes everything. So if you have locker room issues, they are minimized by all the winning. If you got locker room issues and you're not winning, it's a lot harder to turn that around. And I think that the Packers are facing some sort of a rebuild. No question whether it's going to be a big rebuild or a small rebuild. That remains to be seen, but they are facing a kind of a rebuild. And there will be a lot of bumpy challenges along the way. Is Matt LaFleur the guy to get you through that? And we've had a bunch of games over the last few years that showed you the side of the Packers that we're seeing right now. Think about the Chargers and 49ers games in 2019. Buccaneers game in 2020. Saints game in 2021. These games where the Packers just come out completely flat and undisciplined and unprepared. And they look like they don't care. And they look like they didn't get any sleep. And they look like they didn't practice. And now we're just getting an entire season of that. There have been these kinds of issues in the past. So I do think it's a fair question to wonder if Matt LaFleur is head coach material or if he's just an offensive coordinator. Speaking of offensive coordinator, because we already talked about Joe Barry, who I think will be gone. Um, Steno. Uh, so far, <laughs> so far the offense has looked pretty bad since Steno took over. Now the problem is, the offense looked this bad at the end of last season as well. They were they they finished the season pretty bad, and we had Hackett here, we had Getze here. So I'm less inclined to think that we are bad because Steno is in charge. But Matt Lafleur and Steno working together have not been able to fix the offense. I uh, have have really come around this season on the importance of wide receiver. I'm not fully where everybody else is yet, but I, I previously was much more of the mentality that wide receiver kind of barely matters and that scheme and, and quarterback are way more important. I, I am changing my tune on that. And I don't think that the wide receivers we have are good enough. I, Lazard, uh, Watson, Watkins, they're not enough. That is true. It's also not the only problem with the offense. It's not even the only problem with the passing game. Rodgers is consistently not throwing to wide open guys. Now, there are a lot of conversations around the accuracy issues. I know Clayton is um, really quick to run to Rodgers' defense about accuracy stuff and point out a bunch of great throws. Yes, yes, Rodgers is capable of being accurate. The problem is he is not consistently accurate, and he does throw a bunch of inaccurate passes. So I'm not just going to give him a pass for it because if he tries hard enough, he can be accurate. What's the issue with his accuracy? Is it uh, his mechanics? Is it his hurt thumb? And then beyond that, if you think you know what the problem is with the accuracy 
or I should say with the inconsistent accuracy, and you think you can fix that. What about the decision making? Somebody posted a clip <laughs> on Twitter. It was called the, uh, I think the uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, try to throw the ball over the middle challenge. And it's just clips of guys coming wide open over the middle and Rodgers holding on to the ball, holding on to the ball, holding on to the ball, taking a sack. I don't know why he's not reading what he's seeing. He's not going through his progressions. He's not throwing the ball to wide open guys. Sometimes he's not throwing the ball to a guy who could pick up four or five yards um, because he is still hunting downfield for the big game. We know that that's part of his DNA. It's really probably not ever going to change. He got away from that in 2020, which was fantastic. But even last year at the end of the season, we were really frustrated that he was not doing that. The offense as a whole is disjointed and ugly and messy. And we all are widely aware that the Packers are running two different offenses right now. Here's a quote. Uh, This is um, Aaron Nagler screenshotted a quote that is behind a paywall on PackersNews.com. It looks like it's a pretty good article. Um, I didn't pay to read it, but uh, if you're interested in reading more about this, I recommend it. Here's the quote. A personnel executive for a team that employs a form of the growingly popular scheme that LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan, and Sean McVay first designed when they were together in Washington and perfected in Atlanta, Los Angeles, and San Francisco agreed that it is not what LaFleur brought to Green Bay. Quote, their offense is more stagnant with way less shifts and motions, the executive said. The formations are much more spread out. Green Bay's offense is shotgun and RPO, based, whereas others are under center and have more true play actions. Yeah, that's, that is true that that is what has been happening. That's the Aaron Rodgers offense being described. We have two different offenses. Uh, We have the Matt LaFleur offense. We have the Aaron Rodgers offense. The one thing that really baffles me is that if you think back to the Kansas City game last year, was it last year or two years ago? Last year, I think. Whenever Rodgers had COVID and we played the Chiefs and um, for some reason we still kind of ran a lot of the Aaron Rodgers offense with Jordan Love. That was a little bizarre to me. Uh, That one game gave me a lot of pause about Matt LaFleur, the head coach and the offensive mastermind. In 2020, they ran a ton of play action. There was a ton of motion. There were a bunch of bootlegs. Uh, Rodgers was under center a lot more than he has been. In 2021, they kind of went back to the kind of the same crap they were doing in 2018 and 19, and that they've continued to do in 2022. And I was pretty vocal that I did not like the offense in 2021 at all. I was really frustrated with it. It seemed like it was just only... Uh, Aaron and Devante playing hero ball a lot with like no run game, uh, not much play action. They completely stripped out the bootleg entirely, which was like money in 2020. I didn't think the offense was particularly good in 2021. I didn't think Aaron Rodgers was particularly good. Uh, he did win MVP. I thought it was weird at the time, but whatever. I'm not saying he didn't deserve it. 
uh, although I think Joe Burrow specifically did deserve it, uh, but I didn't have any problem with Aaron Rodgers being in that conversation as well. I just didn't, it, he was not the same Rodgers he had been in 2020. And I'm going on this Aaron Rodgers rant. I didn't really mean to, but if, if you look at, you know, the, the this stretch, uh, like 2017, before he got hurt, Rodgers was quite good. 2018, the offense sucked, but a lot of people still acknowledge that Rodgers was really good. Uh, there were some models out there like uh, the uh, uh, quarterback-adjusted ELO rating and, and the quarterback ELO rating that uh, 538 really loves really didn't favor Rodgers very much in 2018 or 2019. Uh, they had him, I think, behind Kirk Cousins and in, in the NFC North. And uh, 2019, I think we pretty much all agreed that the problem in 2019 with the offense was Aaron Rodgers not trusting Matt LaFleur's scheme, not throwing over the middle, not throwing to wide open guys who the play is designed for and just kind of staring his, his guys down that he predetermined he was going to throw to and continuing to try and hit these, these deep shots on these, uh, you know, go routes and fades and all this crap. And then 2020, he did get with the program and the offense was so good that we, we not only forgot the frustrations we had with Rodgers in 2018 and 19, we kind of started pointing fingers and laughing at anybody who refused to let go of those and, and, and just being like, you guys really thought Rodgers was washed. <laughs> Look, he just won MVP. Oh, you're so stupid. He got back to MVP form. Wow. And yeah, Rodgers in 2020 was amazing. The offense in 2020 was amazing. I think that, the offense in 2020 was amazing because Rodgers was amazing and because the scheme was amazing and the play calling was, was really good. 2021, it got weird. It got way less creative. It was uh, stale, stagnant. It was starting to look more and more like the Mike McCarthy offense, which now we're just calling the Aaron Rodgers offense. Uh, that, was, that was 2021. And 2022, I feel like we have all the same questions we had about Rodgers in 2019, Plus, now we have the accuracy questions. And again, yes, he can throw accurate passes at times, but he doesn't consistently do it. So, I, I didn't mean to go on a big uh, anti-Aaron Rodgers rant, but a lot of the uh, comments in this suggestion thread that I posted were saying get rid of getting rid of Rodgers will fix the offense. I don't know that that is true, but I also don't think the offense gets worse without him. I really don't. Aaron Rodgers right now is not really bringing anything special to the quarterback position that anybody else in the game isn't doing. I am not minimizing what he has done in the past. I am not saying that he's washed and can't get back to being good again in the future. But right now, and whether you want to blame it on his thumb, whether you want to blame it on his uh, relationship with LaFleur, whether you want to blame it on the receivers, Aaron Rodgers is playing like garbage. And the Lions game was lost 
solely because of Aaron Rodgers. Everyone else on the team did enough to get the win, except for Aaron Rodgers. Nathan James says, let love play until the bye. See what he's made of. We got nothing to lose at this point. Uh, up north, Wisconsin. Given current wide receiver depth, first I would go full-on Air Force Academy and make the offense run first. Second, got to see what Love can do this year in at least three games. QB strategy next five years and the 2023 draft are pinnacle points going forward, in my opinion. Um, I think you're exaggerating a little bit with the Air Force Academy thing, but but I do agree with your tweet overall. Andrew says, trade Jones and Bakhtiari for picks after the season. Uh, I would have done that at the trade deadline. I would have traded Aaron Jones. I think you easily could have gotten an early second round pick or a a, uh, a first round, late first round pick, second round pick and some change. I think you could have gotten that for Aaron Jones. We chose not to. Bakhtiari, I do think we need to trade him because... I don't think this this team is competing for a Super Bowl next year. I mean, maybe Rodgers decides, yeah, he wants to come back, and the team decides, yeah, even though the whole run it back thing didn't work in 2021 and worked even worse in 2022, let's do it again in 2023 and just see if it happens. Okay, fine. Then, yeah, I guess you need a Bakhtiari, I guess, but I would be trading him. Um, he's... I'm not saying he's bad. He is, he is quite good still, but he's just... He's too old to be part of any kind of rebuild. Ship him off to a contender. Let him go try and win a ring. Um, and and you can get some massive compensation from it. And we have guys who can play left tackle. I think Zach Tom's natural position is at left tackle. Yash Nyman has looked pretty darn good at left tackle. Even Elton Jenkins in 2021 played fantastic at left tackle. Um, right tackle is something we're still trying to figure out. But I think we have three different guys who can play left tackle. Besides Bakhtiari. So moving forward, since we got to do some rebuilding here, uh, Bakhtiari to me is not part of that. Uh, so Jones want, or uh, Andrew wants to trade Jones and Bakhtiari. He wants to cut Preston, Lowry, Amos, Crosby, Lewis, Cobb, Tunyon, and Reed. Resign Jenkins, Lazard, Chris Barnes, Nyman, uh, Rudy Ford, Dallin Levitt, Keyshawn Nixon. Okay, I like that list. Sign Moreau or Draymond. <laughs> Draft a safety, an edge, an offensive tackle, a tight end, a defensive tackle, and a running back. And one more wide receiver. Trade Rodgers post-June 1st for 2024 picks. Um, Clayton's been going on this big thing about how Rodgers is untradeable. And I think on paper, I, I do agree with Clayton on that. But the problem, and, and Clayton will acknowledge this, is that there is so much about this contract that we don't know and don't understand. That has been my stance since day one, that we don't know what this contract actually is. Um, maybe there is uh, language and, and there are agreements in there that could change things up so that you could trade him. Here's the, here's the big thing that a lot of people forget about with, um, with some of these contracts and, uh, including some really smart people. 
when they are looking at cap hit going forward for future years and they talk about like, well, you know, get, get Rogers to retire or cut him or whatever you do. And then, you know, we have X amount dead cap in this year, X amount dead cap in that year, that structure of when the dead cap tolls uh, only applies while they're on your roster. The second they are off your roster, all dead money that has been prorated becomes due at once. This is why the uh, pre-June 1st, post-June 1st uh, designation exists at all. Because if you do something post-June 1st, then at that point, dead money that is owed does not go into effect until the following year. But it's still all of it. So if there's like five years left on a deal... Um, you can, if you do something before June 1st, then all five years are due right now. If you do it after June 1st, then you get just your, your first year is due right now. And the other four are all due the next year. So that's just something to keep in mind. Um, because I have heard a bunch of people trying to, you know, break down like, well, what would be, what would be the cap hit if we did move on from Rogers? Well, we'd have X amount in 23 and X amount in 24, X amount in 25. That's not how it works. <clears throat> because once he's, the, the, you can look at over the cap, over the cap, or spot track, or whoever you want to see how the contract is currently structured to the best of our knowledge. But that information is only accurate as long as the guy is on your roster. The second he's off your roster, you can't have stuff tolling into multiple future years. So, and you can only do one future year. And that's only if you do it post June one, because then technically you are um, making moves for the following year. So that's how that works. Um, as far as um, cutting Preston, I think Preston would be a guy I probably keep because he's not that expensive. Uh, Lowry was a guy I talked about a lot before this season began. Of like, he made an awful lot of sense to either cut trade or extend. And I didn't really understand why we were just keeping him on his existing deal. So I think he is going to be a, a free agent. Um, I'm coming, I'm coming pretty quick here. Um, he's not playing bad. I, th- I think he's a guy I would keep around. He's not super expensive. Uh, I would have given him a contract extension this past year, same as Amos. Um, but it's also a little bit hard to say what we got in Amos right now, because he's playing bad. I mean, that is not savage level bad, but he's playing worse than he usually plays. And this is the second year in a row that he has started off the season slow. So last year he finished on a hot note. Uh, we got to see if he can do that again this year. Um, last year we didn't have a safeties coach. This year we do. We got a new guy named Ryan Downard. The fact that all our safeties are playing so bad, I mean, not Rudy Ford. I think he's doing a good job. But the fact that Amos and Savage both stink this year, uh, to me says that Ryan Downard is mm, not helping things any like <laughs> we're getting worse results now with you here than we had last year when we didn't have a safeties coach. So I question whether he's in over his head or not, which leads to my overall general long-term wonderings about Matt LaFleur's ability to hire coaches I think that he's been pretty hit or miss. There's been some really good hires. There have been some. Here's the thing is that he doesn't. 
he doesn't seem to when he misses, he misses big. You know, Joe Barry, I don't think was a good hire. Uh, Sean Menenga, I thought was a really bad hire. I thought Mo Drayton was a much worse hire. Ryan Downard it kind of fits in with a bunch of Mo Drayton type hires where you've had a guy who's been in your building working with you for a long time, and then you promote them up to a uh, position coach or a coordinator in in uh, Drayton's case, and it just becomes immediately obvious that they are not the guy. They are not qualified. Like it's, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the last time he had a, a coaching hire that like I thought was good at the time and then aged poorly. It's typically more like uh, he hires a guy and I right away, I'm like, dude, I don't get this at all. And then it's a disaster. Or there's been a couple times where he hired a guy and I was not thrilled, but then the dude turned out to be a stud. So, uh, you know, like Jason Rebervich, who's our uh, outside linebackers coach. When I first saw the hire, I was underwhelmed with it. Um, and then I got talked into it being a good hire. And so far, it seems pretty good. Um, no complaints about Rebervich. I, I do have questions about Matt LaFleur's overall ability to hire coaches. He's hired some good ones. You know, I think Mike Smith was really good. I don't know why we weren't able to retain him, but we weren't. Uh, Jerry Gray, I think is a good guy to have in the building. I think our DBs have gotten demonstrably worse since he got here overall. Uh, kind of not really close to me. Um, let's see. Uh, now <clears throat> one, one of the early, coaching change-ups he made was what the heck, the heck was the guy's name Alvis Witted, I think uh, was our wide receivers coach and he got fired because the wide receivers stunk to high heavens in 2019 um, and I think he is uh, Wisconsin's wide receiver coach now which kind of explains a lot uh, and so then LaFleur hired Jason Vrabel Jason Vrabel yeah Jason Vrabel who I think has done a really good job um, overall. I think that we have, for the most part, we have gotten better results out of our wide receivers since he got here than you really would have expected based on the quality of player that you thought we had prior to them working with him. So I think he's done a good job. I think that I think that was a good replacement hire. But uh, Kirk Olavadati, our linebackers coach, the guy I've had questions about for a very long time. I basically have never liked him. And then 2021, randomly, we had um, fantastic linebacker play kind of across the board, uh, and ex especially from Devondre Campbell. And I kind of had to throw my hands up in the air and say, well, I, maybe I don't know anything. <laughs> maybe Olavadati really is good, and he's just been working with garbage players. Uh, the fact that those same players this year are kind of just back down to who they've always been kind of just undermines that brief confidence that I got in Olvidati. I just, I don't think like, like the best thing I can say about Olvidati is, is to bring up that Cardinals game last year where Jerry Gray and Olvidati split uh, play calling duties while Joe Barry had, I think COVID. So, you know, and the defense was just, just lights out during that game. So I got to give him credit for that, but 
Dude, I'm not hanging on to a guy who I th- I have felt was bad for four years because he co-play called one good game and got some really good linebacker play from mostly Devondre Campbell and kind of not really anybody else for one season. I just, I, 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 I don't like Olivadani as a coach. I don't think that he's done a good job. That That's a guy I would move on from. A couple more rapid fire. FFS Carl, uh, his Twitter is fat. Carl says score points and stop the giveaways. I know people hate field goals. I think analytics have it wrong there. Green Bay has papped up, passed up several field goals, chasing points and end up with nothing. The past two weeks, their offense put up more yards than the opponent. I will say the Packers have had an ungodly number of red zone turnovers this season. It was kind of more of a bigger thing at the beginning of the season. And then obviously this past week, like there was a stretch where we weren't necessarily just having all these red zone turnovers, but our, our red zone offense has been bad for two years in a row. And, and now we have all these turnovers in the red zone. I, I, there is something to be said. You know what? Let me just say, I, I I can just implement a hard and fast rule. Quit going for on fourth down when you're in field goal range because we're we're have we converted converted a fourth down all year? Like maybe two of them total. One. It's been bad. Quit going for on fourth down. <laughs> the whole stadium knows you're not going to get it. Uh, yeah. Kick the field goal if you're in field goal range and it's fourth down. Like that's a that's a easy. Uh, change to make. Last one, Tyler Dershow. I think the biggest first step is figuring out what identity you want the Packers to be. The GM needs to draft players for that identity, have the coaching staff that supports that ideology, and be willing to put players in place to follow through said identity. And that starts this offseason. Well, I, I think this goes back to my point last week about Goody, Lafleur. Rogers, these three guys are all on different pages. Nobody is working together. And I think, yeah, I, there, there is certainly a hierarchy among their three visions for the team that I think, uh, I, I think there are, are better visions for the team and worse visions for the team. I think LaFleur's vision for the team seems to be the best in my mind, then Gutekunst, then Rogers. But I think even Rogers' vision for what this team should be, if all three guys actually were working together and trying to accomplish that together, it would be more successful than what we're getting right now. This mismatch of of three different uh, visions and plans all not working together is a disaster. I, I don't like Rogers' plan for the team, but everybody following his plan for the team is better than everybody all doing their own thing. So I 100% agree. I think that um, I think that Goody uh, did really go in on uh, what the coaches were saying they wanted from this draft class, as evidenced by taking Quay Walker with the first pick. From a mentality standpoint, I think Quay was the right guy. From a schematic standpoint, Joe Barry felt that Quay Walker was the right guy. I think everybody else looked at that and said, well, I hope you're right. (laughs) 
I, I still don't hate the Quay Walker pick. Um, I, I was not a big fan of it at the time. Still not a huge fan of it right now, but I, I don't hate it. I, I, I'm not saying it was necessarily the wrong pick. But you look at what Matt LaFleur felt he needed in order to execute his offense. And he talked about it a lot in the offense or in the offseason. He was he was freaking out and panicking about uh you know needing more speed on offense and and he was super stressed and that was really uh, apparent to everybody and and Rogers feels he needs better weapons to throw to and LaFleur is trying to run a scheme where you can get guys open with you know, subpar players and it's working. He's getting guys open with the plays with his play calls. Rogers is not on the same page. He's not thrown to those guys. And Gudekunst was not on the pa- same page with Aaron or LaFleur in what kinds of players this scheme and this quarterback felt they need in order to execute. So Dersh, hundred uh, percent agree with you there. A lot of questions to be answered. Um, in the coming few weeks here, and especially in the off season, what do you guys think? Do you bench Rogers? And, and obviously you would handle it delicately by putting him on IR to put love out there, to give him a chance to show you what he's got. Do you do exactly that? But with the uh, intention of continuing to tank the season, I'm actually not sure that that's your best plan. If you want to tank the season, like I know that, Rodgers is a more talented quarterback than Jordan Love, but like swapping quarterbacks might provide some sort of spark and get you winning games, which I'm not saying that's the best course, because especially if you're trying to tank for a high draft pick, that doesn't support that goal at all. What do you guys think? What would you do? Uh, Twitter, the best place to uh, continue this conversation at JJ Leahy, L-A-H-E-Y, or the uh, Packernet Podcast Facebook group, if you're a member of that. Uh, Post your thoughts in there. What do you think the Packers need to do to fix all this? What should their plan and vision be going forward? Starts with deciding if you want to uh, tank and rebuild or if you want to keep trying to push all in for the Super Bowl, Uh, trying to make a a playoff appearance. That is obviously the first question you got to decide. And then there's a bunch more challenging questions to be answered after that. I'm going to get out of here. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, You have a fantastic day. I'll talk to you all next week.